Welcome to the Human Design Collective podcast, where we explore this system as a map of our unique potential from the mundane to the mystical. If you'd like to dive deeper into your design, we invite you to our Living Your Design workshop meeting in February with recorded material available upon registration. Rave Cartography begins January 12th, 2022. For more information, go to courses.humandesigncollective.com. We're grateful to those of you who have rated and reviewed our show, giving others a greater chance of finding us. If you have enjoyed listening, please review us on Apple Podcasts. In today's episode, we're speaking with Andrew Mack, a 2-4 manifesting generator on the cross of the Sleeping Phoenix. He began his early career as a carpenter and custom home builder, understanding the importance of structure. When he began to struggle with his personal health and found little help through modern medicine, he went back to school to study the physical and physiological structures within the body. When introduced to human design, and the Rave Mandala in 2013, he was immediately intrigued and has been experimenting with his strategy and authority for the past eight years. We hope that you find some resonance with his knowledge and experience in support of your own experiment, and please enjoy the show. Well, welcome, Andrew. We're really happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We thought we'd start today by just asking a bit about your background in terms of your training and what you've studied in the beginning of your career. And if you could tell us about your experience, we'd love to hear that first. Sure. My initial background when I graduated, my first undergraduate degree was carpentry. I used to build custom homes in Colorado, moved across the country uh, doing that, and eventually wound up with some health issues that I felt very frustrated by doctors and their response. It just came to a point where I felt like I had the intelligence to pursue that a little further and see what I could find from it. When I did that, I decided on uh, chiropractic school. So I got trained as a chiropractor. Um, I liked the idea of natural medicine. And the school I went to was in St. Louis. It was close to family. I grew up in Southwest Missouri. As I studied the chiropractic, though, I quickly realized that just the popping the neck and the back thing was not the end-all be-all because I would work in the outpatient clinic and people would come in every week, same spots, same issues, same things going on. It just got very frustrating because I thought the point was to pop the neck, pop the back, they get better and something's different the next time. And so I was always looking for those differences. I've actually been very fortunate in life just kind of brings me the things that I need, including human design. The first week of chiropractic school, I was introduced to something called functional medicine. And that weekend, I did a course called functional endocrinology. I had not had any biology classes yet. I had not had any physiology classes yet. So my initial training or upbringing, if you will, in physiology was from a functional medicine perspective. So I took that into school. And so by the time I got into physiology class and pathology class and things like that, I was looking at it from a different lens, which was a great lens to look at it from. From that point, um, the gentleman that taught that class is a gentleman that's wrote several books and very, very well-known gentleman. I was one student and there were five doctors in the class. It was very late, early on. This is in 2005. It was very kind of early on with this group's functional medicine and this teaching. And he kind of pulled me aside. He said, whatever you do, just keep doing this work. This is what's going to make a difference. So that was kind of really a tie-in to, like I said, in about 2007, when I was in this outpatient clinic, I had this functional medicine background and knew about some supplements and lab testing. And so what happened is I started talking to the doctors that were directing the program and said, hey, I've got this patient here. I've been seeing them for a few weeks. They're not getting any better. Can we run some labs on them? We had a lab system down in the basement of our school. So we could run blood tests, run down there, run a CBC with differential, look at iron, iron panels, look for anemias, things like that. That was what was really interesting to me. And thankfully, 
my instructor that was in charge of the program said, well, sure, why not? Whereas most of the other instructors might have uh, been more inclined to, you know, maybe more inclined to just say, ah, oh, just, you know, keep working on them, keep rubbing the muscles and that kind of thing. Uh, this is something that was really exciting to me. So that was more into my journey. As I left school, continued to do that and uh, worked for a doctor out of Colorado, specifically diabetes patients. And they had a very high volume practice that did great work. And so I was fortunate to see a lot of cases and learn very quickly by seeing lots of blood work. And I mean, I've read thousands of labs and fortunately enough, I'm at the point where I can just pick up labs and in about 10 seconds, I can go, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. And so I'm grateful that I've had that experience that led to this. It's been over a decade. That is what led me into functional medicine. And then within that, I got to a point where through a chain of events, uh, somebody introduced me to uh, human design. And just like functional medicine, where somebody said, here, check this out. Human design was the same way. Somebody said, here, check this out. You guys know my chart. So open ego, open G. So of course, I've got to prove myself. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I've got to dive in deep and try to figure out everything I can about a subject. So I started doing that with human design and life seemed to pave the way because the first time I got introduced to it, it was just somebody showed me a chart and I said, oh, that's really intriguing because they showed me the full body graph with the gates and you know everything. And I said, whoa, because I used to read my horoscope. That's about my knowledge of astrology. So, But it was always intriguing to me how sometimes you'd read it and go, oh, that's kind of dead on. And so this seemed very more, much more specific, which just like with functional medicine, that was something I liked. And that kind of started the journey. And uh, it's been interesting from there. Do you remember in that initial contact with human design, if there was specific information that, or specific things you saw in the body graph that really spoke to you? Well, funny enough, the channel we talked about and we share is the 4323. And the person that shared it with me, this was her body graph and she shared it and just kept saying, I'm a genius to freak. It was the person that comes across human design, picks out the parts that they like about it and shares those with other people, which was fine. And that worked for me. So that was a great thing. So no fault there, but it was intriguing enough to see something in this picture and then somebody describe a, a personality trait from it that it made me go, really? A personality trait from this picture? <laughs> so that was, that was the thing that was most intriguing to me because it was a much more specific personality trait as opposed to you know, I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, Sagittarius or whatever we are. I don't know all the signs and all that kind of stuff, but there's, you know, that generalization. I liked more specifics. That's just kind of, I like detail. I'm kind of more geeky that way. And it was something where I could see there could be a lot of detail and little did I know there's a lot of detail. And then did that take you directly to this question of, well, if this applies to personality traits, how does this apply to the body and to health? Um, I think that was in the back of my mind. Initially, I, I knew I needed to just start to get some handle on, on my own. Once I saw that first picture, I just kind of thought, wow, this is really intriguing. I'd like to learn more about this and didn't do anything else to pursue it. I was starting a new job. And within a month, I flew out to LA to go do training. The person I trained with, it was just two of us training at this company. So we got to know each other because we were going to every room and every place together. And we started to communicate after that training. And she knew my background in functional medicine, specifically with like food sensitivity testing, things of that nature. She was a um, renter and rented a basement out from a gentleman. And the gentleman she rented that basement out was the brother of one of the main people that were in human design and helped edit the book. And so 
long story short, I was able to get a free reading by trading services. And so again, human design came to me from me not pursuing it. Uh, it just was something that showed up and it's, you know, this thing, the, uh-huh, uh-huh, do you want to, what do you think? Here, here you go. You can get a free reading. What do you think? Oh, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> and little did I know the, um, the, the skills and all the background of the person that did the reading. I had no idea how much depth of knowledge was there or anything like that. This was just my first exposure to somebody else that was you know, more educated than myself in it. And so it was something where I just thought, oh, sure, let's try this out. That kind of started the, the journey. Andrew, can you say who that was? Sure. Through a chain of events, I was actually able to get a reading from Donna Garlinghouse. And so that was one of the, from my understanding, you guys know her very well. And mm-hmm. she just was excellent at reading the depths of my chart and introduced this idea that my wife was a reflector, which didn't mean much to me, not really knowing how rare that was. And established a, a short relationship with Donna. I did uh, her LYD class and I did her Rave ABCs. But at that time, I was definitely living out my 3420, my kind of sleeping Phoenix, just buzzing hard and just really didn't put in any time and effort into it. Really was just taking the knowledge as superficial, but I understood inside myself as you can't just know it this way. Mm-hmm. It's going to take some more time to live it out. So I actually stopped pursuing any education in human design. And so this goes back to 2013. Um, so I've been around design for eight years. But within the first six months, I stopped any education and just every two or so years would get an um, analysis from a different practitioner just to get some bearings of where I was, but just trying to live out my life and then get some bearings and go, oh, yep, I see that. And I see that's coming up or some of those things. And that was my way to test it out and kind of see how does this knowledge really work? I started to research it as I like to research. And so I looked up this guy named Ra, like, oh, great, the sun god, Ra, like, what's, what's this guy about? <laughs> and um, uh, looked on YouTube videos. And so the first was a gentleman that was interviewing him. So the gentleman said, so tell me about your system called human design. And Ra said, oh, it's not my system. I'm its first student. That for me was really interesting to be around all the different doctors that I was around and to see people battle for egos in the world that I was in and to all of a sudden see this shift with this guy that just says, ah, not mine. I'm not taking credit for it. Don't give me the credit. It just exists. And then the second thing I watched was the video with Ra talking about his encounter with the voice and within that, hearing his description, but also finding out his name was Robert. I was like, oh, okay. Because that was one of my sticking points because I've been so involved in more of the physical medicine side is I don't typically get too much in the woo-woo, if you will. And so when somebody's name is guru this or that, that kind of turns me off immediately. And I, it just is my makeup and I'm trying to be open to it. But initially when somebody's, uh, I'm guru this, I'm like, no, you're not. So um, <laughs> that's just kind of my initial thing. And so when I found out it was just, oh no, my name's Robert. And you know, I used to be in a whatever a marketing. And then I had this experience. I'm like, well, okay, I can relate to that. I can relate to a life-changing experience, which, you know, as a sleeping Phoenix, obviously I should be able to relate to that. One of the third things I came across was a different video, I believe, or something, but it was an interview with Ra or him speaking about it. And the thing that I really appreciated, he said, like, listen, this isn't a religion. We're not asking you to sign up and join. We're not taking donations. There's lots of free information out there. Go out and research this for yourself. Try it out. If you like it, fine. If you don't, 
fine, like not attached to it. Just go try this out and see what, how it works for you. And so pardon me, that was one of the things where it was like, oh, there's really something to this because what do I have to lose? You know, I'm not going down some rabbit hole of whatever and sign up for something and plenty of other religions or those types out there that whether they pass an altar plate or you give donations and gain up levels, there's all sorts of stuff out there we all know of. This was unique as well because it was one of those deals of like, oh, I like YouTube. I like finding free stuff. I'm pretty good at it. So I spent a lot of time finding a lot of free information and allowed that to kind of guide along with just life experience. I allowed that to kind of guide my journey more. That was something that appealed to me as well, meeting human design, is I had my own background in history with different spiritual traditions and different groups. And, you know, I had gotten a lot out of some of it and studying different philosophies and metaphysics. And then there was something about human design that, at least for me, seemed to kind of cut through a lot of that and just get right to the point. The whole guru teacher thing, I think a lot of that was kind of anchored in the seven centered world in the past. And human design is offering up a different possibility, I guess, a different, a different map and a different way forward. Absolutely. And it's interesting you mentioned that being in natural medicine and being around lots of different kinds of practitioners, I just never resonated with the chakra system. It just, the people that did it and practiced it and let me balance your chakras and that kind of stuff. I was just kind of like, no, I'm good. I'm okay. Typically, things that are very logical will click very quickly, and things that are more etheric do take more time. That one just never, it just kind of bounced right off all the time. It's just like, this just doesn't make sense. The idea that we're complete within ourselves, I mean, that goes back to my upbringing as, you know, upbringing in the church is that made sense to me. It's like, we're a complete being at that time, the way I grew up and, you know, this the Christian church and Christ is in you, and now you're complete. And it's like, well, at least I grew up with that as a background. So this nine-centered being was kind of like the same thing of going, oh, well, that makes sense because I learned that as a kid is like, I'm complete, but it also brought up points of then religion because it's like, well, then why are we constantly praying out? Because we're just, we're made complete. So aren't we complete? Mm -hmm. I'm confused here. So that's a whole different journey away from the standard religion. It just made a lot of sense. Yeah. I think you're making a great point too, which I actually think really ties into this question about health. In that the three of us that are sitting here today, we all have open root as an example. And if we think about the root center as something that brings in a capacity to handle a certain amount of stress, but also to have a certain natural sense of pace, many of us with open root are experiencing all kinds of pressure from the outside and all kinds of stress. And we know that stress can be a huge factor in someone's struggles with health. I would agree when I encountered Ra, there was something about both the fact that he said, don't believe me, take it or leave it, do it your way, but also that a huge part of the human design guidance is wait, Mm -hmm. relax, you know, take your time. Most designs have that baked in and that's so rare to come across in anything that anybody's trying to sell you, you know, whether they're trying to sell you something for your health or sell you something for your spirituality or sell you something for your psychology or somebody just say, well, take your time, let it come to you when you're ready. And if you're not interested, cool. It's such a breath of fresh air. It is. And it makes it a real challenge from everything that you can do as, you know, training in business. Cause those of us in natural health, like chiropractors, we tend to be small business owners. And so our whole goal is finding ways to market, finding ways to get things out. I've done very well with 
selling supplements and helping create them and bringing new ones into the country and all the details about how supplements work, as well as specific types to do better absorption and all these things. You know, to be honest, on my journey in this point for the last few years, that open route combined with the sleeping feeding has been something that has really challenged, I'd say really challenged my own health. Mm. Uh, and it just got to a point where I had to slow down enough to really look at what I was doing. There's this background that I had that just growing up and some of that conditioning of, you know, kind of that sacrifice yourself better to give than to receive and that kind of makeup of those messages that were just very, very ingrained. I think that's still something culturally. And it's a real challenge to say, no, it's better to receive than to give because that means I'm being selfish, but that's not really it. I'm actually taking care of myself. And that's actually within my design. My makeup is to be pretty darn selfish. Well, it's both. I'm individual and tribal. So, I'm learning the shift of being selfish enough that taking care of myself means that my tribe is going to be taken care of in the process because I'm feeling better. I'm in a better mood. I've got more energy, all those things. And that's been a real shift in my journey. And it still is something I still work to do is to actually, like you said, to slow down because I've got that open route. My wife has that open route. We've got four kids. They all have defined roots. Wow. The pressure has been there for years and years and years and years. As a matter of fact, Alok did a reading for me, and that's one of the main things he said is like, of course, have open root and open head. So one of the things he said is like, you have no idea how much pressure you've been under. You've been under pressure your whole life, and you just don't even know it. That's been a real interesting journey to shift to do, like you said, is to just wait. What does it mean to wait? What does it mean to wait in business? That's been a big one because I have this background, this knowledge. It's constantly like, go build a website, go get yourself out there, start doing YouTube videos, do a podcast, all these things. Every time I said mentally I could do it and I'd get my whiteboard out and I'd start writing everything I could do with business and I have all these things that I've done and business training and everything else, then I just had to sit down and go, no. My body just wouldn't do it. My body finally just said, nope, had enough. Sorry. Have a seat. Watch a movie. Listen to some music. Play your guitar. And that's what it's been for the last few, off and on, kind of in a way, almost for the last couple of years. Have you noticed that that shift has had an effect on your health? Yeah, it has. It's what's happened with slowing down is it's let me slowly come into tune with just what shape my body is really in. Because I think mentally I could power through saying, oh, that's just a little thing. It's all right. This is going on in my body. That's all right. I'll power through it. It's no big deal. You know, that whole kind of stupidity of I'll get enough sleep when I'm dead kind of attitude was kind of the way I would joke about in my 20s and into my 30s was just, you know, eh, no, I'm good. I'm good. And honestly, that mental power was strong enough to keep that for quite a while. Well, for us in 2016, it kind of all came crashing down when we had a house that was uh, full of toxic mold. So as a family, we, it was right before Christmas, uh, we Finally, I'd gone to a doctor because here I am, somebody that has a pretty good wealth of knowledge, and I just couldn't figure this out about myself. And that was one of the challenging times is just going, why why can't I figure this out? I'm good at looking at labs of other patients and all these things. And so finally, when somebody suggested mold to me, and that just had never been on my radar, I never thought about mold because it just wasn't a big issue. Went to a doctor uh, in Atlanta where we lived at the time that specialized in it. And basically, he was one of the ones that finally kind of put the, if you will, the fear of God in me and just said, he said, imagine your house is on fire, grab what you can and get out. Like, this is how bad it's causing health issues for you. 
like a week before Christmas, we just took the kids and grabbed a couple things that we knew were mold free and walked out. And over the next month and a half, we had to just figure out how to clean and sell off or throw away everything. So at that point, we gate 51, life will bring you a nice big shot to kind of challenge you. And then, you know, we talked about in class the other day, the 2838, that's the channel my wife and I share. So we're both 511 and a 2838. So life continues to bring us shocking events to keep us on our toes. And so that was one that was really where you just kind of walked away from everything that you were in a way attached to a challenging time, but probably one of the most freeing times because we just got rid of stuff. We have a nice place now and we have lots of things, but I can't tell you that the last time we bought anything new, except for maybe clothes for the kids, everything's used. Everything could go in a minute. It can go on Craigslist or Facebook marketplace, any of that stuff. It can go on there. It can be gone hopefully within a week or two and we can pick up and go if we need to. And so that was for us, one of the important things that we felt we needed to have is that freedom to move. It kind of sounds like a sleeping Phoenix moment in a way, what you're describing of just imagine the house is on fire, grab some things and get out. I'm also interested in what you noticed with that change of environment, where in human design, environment's a pretty big component of how the system kind of approaches health. That's a pretty extreme situation. If you're in a house with toxic mold, what was that process like of healing or transitioning out of that for you? It's still been a journey, to be honest. Uh, I wish I could say that I'm fully healed and everything else, but what I'm learning is the environment is so key for my health. Within the four transformation, you have this idea of digestion, you have this idea of environment. I would venture to say, and I've got a lot to learn about PHS, but I would venture to say they're almost one and the same, that you can't have one without the other. And I know, obviously, like digestion for me would be, you know, being at a restaurant with a lot of stuff going on. I have a nervous the makeup for me. So I need that nervous energy around me. But I still think the physical environment you're in makes a huge difference. I think that the idea of shores like this uh, is a good start, but I definitely know for me, when I started having health issues, just to put it into perspective, I was probably the best health I ever had is when I lived in Colorado. I lived uh, north of Denver and at the time in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was pretty much flat, wasn't a lot of houses. And then I could look over toward Boulder and I could see the foothills. And so I had that natural shores, not knowing that that was my makeup. I hadn't even been introduced to human design. Healthiest I've ever been in my life. Everything flowed, life flowed. I mean, tick off just about every box. My health issue started once my wife and I got married and we moved to North Carolina. That's where her family was from. So I was in a whole different environment, hills, lots of trees, lots of enclosed, no more shores. Again, I may be correlating here, but there's definitely, when I look at places I've lived and look at my health, North Carolina, When we lived in Atlanta, it was the same kind of deal. Hills, lots of trees. We lived kind of almost in a ravine, no natural shores. The mold may have been a secondary effect. The primary effect may have been my vehicle basically like going, you got to get out of here. And since I wasn't moving, it was like, no, we're going to move you. Like, we'll get mold in the house. We'll do whatever we can. Like, this has got to go. You've got to move. And kind of getting out to here in uh, Northwest Washington, it's a beautiful area, but it's interesting. It still is the same vibe is I can kind of tell, and my wife and I both talked as we know for sure now it's starting to sink in this idea of environments, not just when I'm eating, but just overall physical environment to live in definitely makes a huge difference on my health. And we're both recognizing it's time to move on. It seems like there's an interesting interplay between the frequency of your correct environment as seen through PHS or through human design and perhaps the resiliency of the body to certain pathogens to external toxins, that when we're in the right environment, 
our body probably has a better capacity to deal with whatever's coming in from the outside, deal with conditioning or deal with environmental toxins or allergens and that sort of thing, where if you've got both of those things off, you're in the wrong environment and you're dealing with these outside influences. I think that's probably where we get into a deeper health crisis or a deeper situation. I agree. I think that's something that's really interesting to start to research and learn more about for me because I've got all the ability to look at lab tests and everything else, but it's a great thing for me to start to think about the patients I've worked with in the past and those that I may in the future. So just start asking them about, you know, where do you live? Who do you live with? Who do you live around? Like what kind of resonance is there? I'm somebody that likes music. I've always liked frequencies and the idea of resonance frequencies makes so much sense to me, even though I know I can't measure it in a way that makes sense to see what it's doing to the body per se. I think there's definitely something with an underlying resonance frequency, an area we could live in wherever it be in the world. It's not always going to be there's an exact spot for one person or this or that. But in general, I think there's definitely times when we're living in a disresonance with the people we're around, no matter how much we may love them, with the environment we're in, no matter how long we may have lived there and grown up there and know everybody there and everything else is that I think that's what we're starting to see shift within maybe this shift to 2027 is like, we're all becoming more aware of just what resonance really is Mm -hmm. and what it means to resonate. You know, I think like with both of you, John and I are two fours, you're a five one, even just that alone. I I think I mentioned that to you guys before. I've been around a couple of friends that are both projectors. They're both five ones and somebody has to come in and cut the conversation. So we'll actually eat food because it just is, (laughs) I'm excited because they're wanting the energy I've got and they're excited because I've got energy to give. And it's kind of like a boundless thing. Those kind of resonances are really interesting to start to understand within human design, obviously, but then to start to take from that out into nature and just think about who resonates with who and what location, that's very intriguing to me. And also speaks to the point that Ra made about what happens inside of us when we're out of resonance with the conditions of our lives on a deep level that creates this kind of resistance in the body or something that the body is constantly having to work to process or overcome, which is adding to the the payload or the stress or the challenge that the body's dealing with. I love what you said about how powerfully each of us can use our minds to just keep pushing through, keep overcoming that. In the last conversation we had with Martin, he made this great point where he said, the body always brings the bill. Especially once we start to get to middle age, it becomes really clear that we're not invincible and we can't take that for granted. Yeah. And I, culturally we're seeing People go, I, I can't keep up at this pace anymore. You know, this hurried pace, this hurried life. You know, when we look at the cross of planning, it was what, 1615 or early 1600s when it started. And interestingly enough, when you look at the research on specifically caffeine, that's one of the first times caffeine, coffee and tea got introduced into Western world. As you look at that and how that got introduced into society, that's kind of been one of the main drivers chemically. It's been altering our physiology and is driving our system into this push more and more of the hustle culture. I think finally, everybody's starting to wake up and go, I can't sustain this. I don't have a relationship with my kids. Yeah, maybe I have all these toys or the bar keeps getting raised where it's like, I just can't get enough. I can't have enough. It's the never enough. This more and more and more that I think people are waking up to is like, I don't don't need more. I just need to be. And I think that's something that's interesting to see that shift. And it's nice to see too, because it's reassuring to me as I'm doing that in my own journey to see that culturally, it's like a lot of people are going, no, enough's enough here. This is just too much. Yeah. And going back to what you guys were saying about the root earlier, 
When you look at the root in the context of the body graph, it's never going to be an authority. It's never really a reliable or advisable way of making decisions in a panicked, hurried, rushed state. I think a lot of our economic system and the conditioning that we're constantly getting is you know, more, faster, creating a sense of urgency to make the sale or to run something through. I think one of the interesting side effects of the pandemic, which I've heard from a lot of the, mostly a lot of projectors that I've, that I've talked about, but also a lot of generators, that it's been really nice to kind of have an excuse to slow down, to do less, kind of come back to oneself. Brought up other issues in our society, but that seems to be one of the positive aspects of it, giving people pause. Yeah. I don't know if you all experienced this, but I, it was in March of 2020 when everything kind of hit and there was like this two week period of just this great deep breath and deep exhalation. And just like this shift from all of our sympathetic dominance, this go, 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 go to just taking a breath and a little bit of parasympathetic shift to like, let me just rest and digest here. And it's been interesting to notice that. And I'm not sure what planets were where and what was going on at the time. And that lasted for a short time. And then all of a sudden, all the messages out there, everybody was like, oh, here, let's go for the new way of, you know, every, it was just the more, more, more was back at it. I think that what's nice is the, I don't know what the right term is, the universe, the planets, God, whatever you want to use is we're at least getting little tastes of what it's like to slow down. And we're being given little tastes of what to be prepared for. As you mentioned, the root, and of course, that's the adrenal system. That is the stress system. And once you blow that out, I mean, as soon as you start getting adrenal dysfunction, then you change physiological digestion. You change the way that your body produces hydrochloric acid. And that's, you know, John, you and I have talked about the way uh, we deal with foods. And I've done lots of food sensitivity testing and things like that. Is if you don't have the proper acidity in your stomach, you don't break down your proteins. From that point on, you're at a disadvantage. You're not digesting technically because your body's putting down these altered amino acid sequences and your immune system is meant to react to proteins more specifically. So there's little kind of arms that will reach through the small intestines wall and grab things to pull them in and sample them just to see like what's going on here, what's coming through the system. And that's one of the main key drivers for inflammation. And most everybody is really comes from digestion. And if you kind of track it back up to the very beginning, a lot of it comes back to stress and how you're managing your stress. And as simple as it is, it's like, if you can't manage your stress, then doesn't matter what kind of supplements or potions or anything else that you uh, take. I think we were talking the other day about any possible correlations between a gut imbalance, a lack of hydrochloric acid or something that's out of order in, in the gut. Could that be related to, let's say, a, a generator sacral response? If you actually have like a chemical or biological thing going on in the gut, in the body that then is inhibiting your natural energetic gut response to life. That could be a really interesting thing to, to explore. Yeah. And there's, there's lots of papers on this and how it works and just to kind of walk through the physiology quickly. But as I said, so if you don't have the proper hydrochloric acid, then you're not breaking down your proteins as well as you're not killing off the bacteria you should be before they can go into the system. So for example, you know, you eat sushi, well, why do you have ginger there? Cause there's an acidic component to ginger that's to help guard off any bad stuff. And in the, in if there's something wrong with the fish or whatever else, when we have stress, then our bodies acidity changes and it doesn't become as acidic. It becomes more alkaline. And we need a pH of like 2.5 in order to make sure and kill off most things, as well as when the stomach releases that into the small intestines, that's what then gets our pancreas and our, our bile to be released. And, and bile is so important because one of the main things with bile is it actually will help to sterilize the gut. 
So if you don't get the proper signal, if you will, right? So if you don't have enough acidity, you don't get the full signal. So you don't get the full release of your digestive enzymes. You know, it's like the domino effect. That first domino doesn't hit the next one, then the rest of them don't fall. So as that goes on, what we see over time is we start seeing people that start having intestinal dysbiosis is what they call it, or leaky gut, or there's intestinal hyperpermeability. There's lots of different names for it. But ultimately what it is, is you're no longer killing off those bad bacteria or potentially bad. And they get in and they start putting up tents and they start taking up root into your gut. And it's not as simple as just going, oh, well, then I'll take a probiotic. Because my joke with my patients was always, it's like, oh, well, that's like taking some missionary kids and sending them into South Central LA. They're good kids. They'll turn it around. Like, no, you can't take good kids and put them into a bad environment and expect it to change. And so just like bacteria, you can't take quote unquote good bacteria and put them into an already bad environment because they'll get sequestered into the environment or they'll get killed off. So what happens with the gut is once you start having these issues where you have uh, intestinal dysbiosis or you have bacterial overgrowth, then you can have changes in personality. There's a study they did and I, they took these two different kinds of mice. So they took these mice that were like really aggressive, like type A dominant. They would go through the maze and find the cheese really fast, that kind of mouse. And then they took this other kind and it was shy over in the corner. It would huddle up. It wouldn't even like come out to even go find the cheese. It was just off, you know, off in a corner. So what they did is they actually pulled the GI bacteria from these two and swapped it. So they took the gut bacteria from the shy mouse, put it into the aggressive mouse. They took the gut bacteria from the aggressive mouse. They put it into the shy mouse and they changed personalities. The shy ones became aggressive and went after the cheese and the aggressive ones became shy and went in the corner. And we see this physiologically in the body. There are certain things where when you have what's called intestinal dysbiosis and you start getting issues with the way your body creates things called short-chain fatty acids, there's a specific one your body will create called valerate. And valerate, if that gets up too high, it becomes what's called a GABA agonist and it blocks your GABA. And your GABA is your calm, relaxed, easygoing, chill out neurotransmitter. Whereas dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, those all tend to be more active they tend to do something or create some form of an action potential. GABA tends to be your calming one. And so you can have gut bacteria that in essence gives you anxiety. So you were asking about the sacral center and the sacral response. And this is something I'm really curious about because I lived in the Bay Area for a lot of years. And uh, my daughter's father is a chiropractor and had a really active full practice. And at some point we moved to Marin and he was seeing you know, lots of different patients in different areas. You know, I'm not sure if it was exactly about the environment we were in or just the volume of people he was seeing or just the age demographic we were entering. But at some point we looked at each other and we were like, what is up with all these bizarre illnesses that people Mm -hmm. are suffering from? And they're not so bad that it's creating, you know, a stop life full on halt because we got to deal with something major. But it's sort of this really sort of moderately debilitating challenge that's always there. So whether it was people having gut issues or autoimmune issues or mm-hmm. Hashimoto's and all these sort of reactions. And then we had all these people around us who were watching sort of chasing all of these symptoms and going to all different kinds of alternative health practitioners. And it felt like trying to like chase something down. As I was working with human design, I got really curious about what happens for people when they get connected to their nature as we see it in human design. So if you take a sacral generator, for example, they're able to get connected to that sacral response in a healthy way. 
it seemed to me that just getting connected to that response and then being able to experience that kind of aliveness and that movement actually helped to dissipate a lot of these symptoms that they were experiencing more so than the chasing after all the material pieces to try to address all the symptoms of the issues they were having. It seems like with some people, those issues have gone on so long that they sort of can't feel the sacral response anymore. They feel disconnected from their bodies. They can't sense that aliveness emerge in them. But it seems to me like there's some way in there, or maybe there's some point before it becomes extreme, when getting connected with that response can actually almost have a healing effect. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you have one of these issues where you've got altered bacteria in your gut, whether or not you can really perceive your own internal response anymore, bacteria, there's billions of them inside of you. So ultimately you wind up with a point of like, are there more cells that are not you than you? And if that's the case, then how much of you is really there or how much are you fighting against something else that's inside? And it's really tough to kind of tune in to what part of me is here because there's more not me than me. Like you get to the point of there's more not self than self. And so that becomes the challenge of getting back to, like you said, if, if you maybe are able to slow down enough and you're in that kind of right environment and just are able to kind of tune into what's right for your body. And I think that listening to the body was something I always kind of laughed at, to be honest. I, I thought it was kind of hippie jargon, like, oh, listen to your body. It never made sense to me until I personally started to put it in practice and realized that I can kind of pick up a food and start to put it in my mouth and like spit it out and be like, nope, not for me. And so it was a weird thing to put into practice because obviously it's not fun to do that at somebody's house if you're over there and they're having it for dinner and you're like, oh, sorry, I can't eat this. So you've got to find ways around it to try to do it politely. But um, it really is something where at first I thought it was just me being weird and going like, why am I not wanting to do this? Or why do I not want to eat this? Or why do I just not want to eat today? And why do I want to fast today? And not because I'm starting the homogenized intermittent fasting thing or any of these other programs, it's just today I'm not that hungry and that's okay. I think probably the biggest challenge comes back to that fight between the body and the mind and allowing your mind to be transformed by reminding it that it doesn't know everything. I think a lot of what I'm seeing in the way you're talking about it is that it highlights the fact that we're, we're interdependent creatures for the most part. Mm -hmm. it's, and there are certain philosophies that will sort of say, no mind over matter, you can address everything with your mind or no you know, medical science, you can address everything through the material. But kind of like you're saying with the environment as well, we have all these interactive dynamics that are happening and they're, they all play a part. There's a balance, there's an interdependence, whether that's between each other, you know, two different individuals, whether it's our relationship with the environment around us, whether it's our internal ecosystem and mm -hmm. the balance between our mental activity and our physical knowing and senses. So it's complex in a way and it's very differentiated. Yeah. Um, it's very unique to each individual. It's not as simple as just one thing for everyone in one realm and we're done. Yeah. And that's why I think I was drawn to functional medicine because it at least approaches things that way, even though the, some of the tests may be all the same for the people, but you do a, a stool test for somebody that's DNA based and you start looking at the results and for each person, it's very different how you may approach what's going on with them or whatever else, because that one for me has always been a fun one to actually see what's going on in, in the internal environment. That's what I'm seeing as well, that health and wellness is really, it's a, it's a holistic and differentiated process. If you try to reduce it into individual components and then base everything off of, you know, one or two variables, 
something's getting lost. Or on the other side, what we see so much of today is just kind of a one size fits all approach to health and wellness. Like everybody should do this. Anyone who spent any time in human design <laughs> knows that this system's kind of advocating for the exact opposite of it. Yeah, it's, I think we call it the homogenization of natural health. You know, even within natural health, the systems become homogenized. It becomes the next new thing. There are good pieces of information within some of those, but I think that to turn it into a system, that's where I start to back away. When somebody says the idea of intermittent fasting, yeah, well, I'll do that when my body tells me to intermittent fast. That sounds great. But to turn it into, I'm going to start this program or I'm going to do this whole ketogenic thing and make sure I'm, I've got my ketones levels. And you know, these programs for sure do work for people for a while. And I think that that goes back to the power of the mind mm -hmm. is that they're convinced that they're going to work for them for a while. Uh, but the long term is, I don't know that anybody has a system that's been around that is still working. Atkins, where'd it go? It's gone. Paleo. Well, no, now we're keto. And then, you know what I mean? And then now it's intermittent fasting and now it's OMAD, one meal a day. And I mean, it just goes on and on. I think you're making a really good point at looking at this dynamic between the mind and body. And even something like the example you're using with intermittent fasting, I would imagine that in a lot of cases, someone reads something about it or someone hears something about it. And then from a mental initiative place, perhaps says, well, I need to go do this, or I'm going to go try this, or I'm going to experiment versus really listening to the body or in a human design context, you know, following your response, if that's what's going on. Yeah. And I think that's still something that from my perspective, I think a lot of people are still learning to do is because we've been such a mental initiated society that it's being able to take that time to even know what it means to listen to the body. And I don't think for those that are listening that do those kinds of things, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think the body is ultimately going to lead you back to where you need to be. So if you mentally initiated something, great, don't beat yourself up over it. It's just recognizing, well, okay, I mental initiated intermittent fasting, but how did I feel? I actually felt good when I did that. Okay, great. So you've learned a piece of the puzzle, but I think the reminder for people is that this is all an experiment. You're an experiment. Like what you're doing is an experiment. Every time you eat a meal, it could kind of be an experiment, unless you're maybe a, a one in the PHS and where you, you know that you're only supposed to eat hot dogs every day, like my son used to do. So just like <laughs> morning, noon, and night, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. You're like, okay. So we just had to let it go and just realized once I heard a little bit about PHS, I realized like, oh, maybe this is what he's just supposed to do for a while. So you talked about the gut biome and how that can create a whole chain of effects. You had also mentioned some autoimmune conditions, and that's a really big buzzword and thing that a lot of people are dealing with. Can you tell us a little bit about your view on what's happening with the autoimmune issues we're seeing now? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to some of that digestion issues is, you know, really go back to the start with, I mentioned stress, stress level go up. And of course we have the issues with digestion as well as we also know that when stress levels are up, the immune system's not working as well. So now you have these foods or particles that aren't being digested as well. You have this immune system that's not functioning quite as well. And what we see scientifically is we see a shift where the body is overproducing B cells, which are the ones that produce antibodies because the body's sitting there going, wait a minute, this protein doesn't look normal to me. This one doesn't look normal to me. And so it starts creating a more of a B cell response, which is creating the, the antigen presenting complex, like an antibody response. So as it does that, what we know, at least we think we know from science, there are certain things where you have certain foods that are very similar chemically when they're broken down, the amino acid sequencing is very similar to human tissue. So for example, there are certain foods that the G's and T's and A's and C's that are the you know, amino acid sequences, 
looks so close to, let's say, for instance, thyroid tissue, there might be one A and one T out of this whole long complex that are different and the rest of them are the same. So the immune system just goes, you know what? That thing over there, I think it's the same food that I'm mad at, and I'm going to go ahead and tag it too. So we start seeing an antibody response to our own tissues. And Hashimoto's, we mentioned, is one of the biggest ones, one of the most common that's out there. And the secondary one to Hashimoto's, which is interestingly enough for those that maybe are suffering with this, the second tissue that gets hit is the cerebellum, which is your balance center because of this, the G's and T's and A's and C's and how they line up. So those that have Hashimoto's um, may notice that they have um, benign positional vertigo and issues like this, where they get dizziness that can't be explained. And the challenge when you start to break this down, and I work with patients, is you have to start looking at, okay, well, are you eating a certain food that's triggering an immune response that then is causing you to attack your thyroid and your, and your cerebellum? Because for some people, it may be something, and I know it's kind of the buzz thing, is gluten or dairy. But those are some of the biggest ones that actually, because of these amino acid sequences, as well as other things, are creating this response. So it's not just this idea of like, oh, everybody's going gluten-free. Is No, in science, we kind of have it down where we know there are certain things that are going to cause reactions. From that, you just start looking at what's going on with the individual tissues in the body. And at that point, we see this imbalance of the immune system. And I think that's something else that being with COVID is really opening us up to recognizing that there is this imbalance because those that are having the hardest time with COVID are those that have a lower T cell count. So in your immune system, when you have B cell count that goes up, the T cell count goes down. So we have this huge population of people that have a high B cell count, which means they can tag it, but they have a lower natural killer cell and T cell count to go off and kill it once they've tagged it. And it's a kind of a fine line of when you're playing with these, because you don't want to just give somebody a bunch of echinacea tea or lemon balm or pomegranate or mataki mushroom, which are all natural things you can do to raise your T cell count. Because yeah, you might go kill off COVID, but you might start attacking your cerebellum and your thyroid in the process. It's a more delicate interplay when you play with these, but it comes back to some of the basics of, I don't know, how are your vitamin D levels? Vitamin D is kind of the, the base of that teeter-totter of T cells and B cells. Like, how's that going? How's your sleep? <laughs> are you eating? Are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you moving? And are you pooping? Like those are just some of the basics. And if any of those are out of whack, then yeah, there's lots of advanced stuff we can do, but really it just comes back to some of those basics of, are you eating regularly? Or, you know, I trust somebody within their design. If they're like, oh no, I've been intermittent fasting. Okay, great. Now let's talk about how you're feeling when you're doing that. In some cases, intermittent fasting for someone that has Hashimoto's, it may actually drive up an immune response that causes more of an attack on the thyroid. It's a challenge, but it really does come back to like some of those basics. And then, like we said, really trying to accept the challenge to learn to listen to your body that waiting to respond. Oh, I'm hungry. Well, wait to eat for an hour. What if you don't eat? What happens then? Mm-hmm. Does the hunger subside or do you get more hungry? And it's like, oh no, I really need to eat. And you get that uh-huh in your body of, oh, yep, I've got to eat. I'm responding to this internally versus mentally, I've got to eat because it's eight in the morning or it's noon. This is my lunch break. I've got to eat. Well, what if you wait and just have your sandwich at a snack time? Like what, what does that do? It just, you know, again, it's experimenting. But then it sort of requires each of us as individuals to slow down enough to develop that kind of relationship with our experience, with ourselves, to pay attention, to be able to experiment, to note what's happening, to respond to what's happening and deal with what's happening. You know, that requires a certain level of attention and awareness and, and slowing down to be able to even just notice and develop that relationship. 
Yeah, that. And I think that one of the nice, to me, one of the nice things about having been a practitioner for years is initially most of the people I worked with, it seems like they were just like, okay, here, you fix me. And I think that that's probably personally where I got a little burnt out was because I wanted to, I had the caring heart to do it and wanted them to get better, but they weren't really putting in the work themselves. They wanted the pills, they wanted the potions, they wanted the protocol, they wanted whatever it was that was going to make them better. But really it does. It comes back to exactly what you're saying. It's like, you've got to slow down and you've got to work on it yourself. And if I'm somebody that could be a guide for somebody, great, but it's a team partnership. I think those people that are looking to get, let's not even call it healthier. Maybe those people that are looking to have a healthier response um, and have a healthier system need to acknowledge that it's their duty and it's on them to be the most, they're the only one that can be in tune with their body. They're the only one that can really do it. And there's plenty of people out there that can help in all sorts of different ways. And none of the keto or these diets, none of those things are bad, but what's happening within the individual, that's the key. And that's the approach that I like about human design is it really brings it back to if something's going on in here and there's health issues being expressed, well, you need to look back into here, do a little less of the grasping for whatever it is I can grab onto and the next new whiz bang supplement, there's always going to be a new one. There's always new research that comes out. They come out with, you know, mTOR and all these fancy pathways and all this stuff. And then there's a supplement that's going to help with this one pathway. That's going to be the cure-all. Uh, I've been around it long enough. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> Supplements are great, but if you're grasping at the weirdest, oddest, most newest, whatever it is, I think hopefully we're starting to get to the point. We realize that if that was working, we'd be done. Everybody'd be healed. What you're saying also is something I've seen in so many practitioners, whether it's psychotherapists or chiropractors or um, health practitioners of all kinds. Uh, maybe this is an aspect of our individuality too, that if people aren't taking responsibility for their own health, then you're put in the position of just putting out fires. And that's not very empowering, I don't think, over time or gratifying for any practitioner or for the person they're working with. Yeah, it is. And it's funny you say putting out fires because one of the main things that I see often is it's inflammation. And it's kind of like, I look at people, I'm like, okay, are you a campfire? Are you a bonfire? Or are you a forest fire? You know? So like, where do we need to intervene here? If you're a campfire, you can probably stoke this thing and control it yourself. If you're a bonfire, then you may need some help managing this because it's getting pretty big. And if you're a forest fire, then you probably need a lot of help with this. But I think a lot of people need to recognize their own inflammation. And I think that that in turn maybe is what happens with practitioners. That's one of the biggest things for me personally is just starting. I just around these people and around these people that weren't owning their own health issues and things like that. I started to have increase in my own inflammation because open G, open ego, I was frustrated and it was something wrong with me that they weren't getting better. I mean, I took it all on and it was my fault they weren't getting better because I'm trying to do everything I can and I should be able to. And I think one of the things that would be really neat to investigate, and it makes sense, like we talked about with resonance, but just really learning about practitioners and who you really resonate with to know that you are going to work well together and recognizing there's probably a lot of people I tried to help that we were just non-resonant frequencies. And no matter what we did, it just wasn't going to work. We've been looking at that and working with different students as well and people that are you know, starting their own practices, even in human design. There's an integrity and a healthiness that can come as a practitioner being able to recognize your own limits or just what's incorrect for you as well. Mm -hmm. And again, it brings back that issue of, do we just drive and push and, and just keep going and survive in some way, 
Or can we recognize, can we pause and recognize this isn't a fit, this isn't a match, Mm -hmm. this is outside of my expertise, this is not empowering for either one of us, whatever it might be, so that everyone can get into better resonance, whichever role you happen to be playing. Yeah. Yeah. I recently had a uh, patient that was referred to me. I was like, okay, sure. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll look at working together and uh, went to set up the initial appointment and I was doing a you know free phone call just to talk about things and whatever else. And he missed the call. And I thought, well, I'm giving my time for free. I'm not charging you anything. And we're just going to talk about this. And you're not important enough to make a free phone call. Like what's going on here? So my initial gut was like, uh-uh, I'm not going to work with this guy. And then my mind was like, no, you're being too hard. You're being too rude and all this stuff. And so Long story short, I worked with him for several months and did thousands of dollars of lab tests, got everything down to where he should be doing things. And he didn't follow through, didn't stop returning phone calls and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I feel bad for the guy that he invested all that money is not doing anything, but he wasn't ready or we weren't resident together and it just wasn't the time. And so it's nice to think about actually having a practice where both people are kind of on that same resonance because one, it's empowering as a practitioner to for somebody like this to just go, you know, I don't think this is a fit. I hope it's empowering for somebody that's a patient that's looking around. And when somebody tells them, no, this isn't a fit, they get to go, oh, good. This isn't the right person. And they they get to have it as a positive aspect and going, oh, great. There's something else out there for me rather than being careful about all of us with open egos and everything else is taking it personally and like, oh, I'm not good enough to be healed or something like that. It's like, no, that's not it at all. Listening to you both, one of the things that comes up first is there's this thing that we see a lot in human design working with people and other people have commented on it, but it's that people have to come to it in their own time, in their own way, and going out there and trying to convince somebody of something or push them faster than they're ready often just doesn't work. You can do it, you can go through the motions, but is it actually going to bring any results or will there be change as part of that process? That's kind of what I hear you saying as well. If the person's not showing up and they're not really serious about their relationship with themselves or with their health, there's not a lot that a practitioner can do from the outside. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it really is about the person being ready to explore and experiment. I've changed a lot in the way that I'm you know, moving forward, approaching people because of my understanding and knowledge of human design is one is to just make sure that they understand is like, hey, listen, you and I are now starting on an experiment together and we're working together for this next part of your experiment. And I can help give you some ideas of some different things to work with or whatever else. But I think it just changes the relationship a little bit. I think the relationship that we've seen and we've seen it, we see it right now, right? We see it in culture. We see, you know, mainstream doctors that will say one thing one day and one thing the next day. And you're going, well, which is it? And not to pick on people, but it just is because science changes so often and things are happening and stuff is moving and it really is like we're losing this idea of, nope, this is the way, this is how it needs to be. And then the next week you're like, oh, uh, well, now it's this. And then the next week it's like, now it's this. And so that idea of this relationship and this structure of the doctor-patient, I think is one of the next things that we're seeing break down where it's no longer doctor-patient, it's doctor-patient coming together and meeting each other and saying, hey, I've got this background, I've got this bit of knowledge, but you know your body. And so you've got to fill me in on what's going on with you so we can have these conversations and know where to head with this rather than the system that's just this broken system of you go in and you get two minutes with somebody and they're like, oh, yep, sounds like this. Here you go. Or with some of them anymore, you see, uh, and I'm not picking on nurse practitioners, but you go in, you see a nurse practitioner, they type your symptoms into a computer, it spits out what's going on with you and they give you a drug. 
There's literally nobody stops to make any kind of reasonable assessment, use their brain and make a differential diagnosis and go, oh, I think maybe this is going on or, oh, maybe that's going on. How's the environment you're in? Like for me, I went to doctor after doctor and nobody ever said, well, how's your home environment? Well, there was mold in my home environment. So of course I'm sick. When I did start having issues, I went to doctors and mentioned mold and they were like, no. They gave me every other list of everything else it could be besides mold because it just wasn't a big thing at the time. So I think that change is something that's much needed. And for really, it's the people coming back to the ownership of going, yeah, no, I play a big role in my health rather than, no, doctor's got it. I'll take the pills. Everything's good. That whole system's got to break down. Right. To me, that is just another version of offloading our sense of authority to something on the outside. In human design, it's about pointing back to the deep intelligence of the form of the body, developing a relationship with it. Before I had met human design or before human design came into my life, you know, as a projector, I had to kind of learn the hard way that I couldn't keep up with the homogenized world in the way that I was trying to. I was basically working in software companies, putting in hours like a manifesting generator. And eventually, like I think Amy said earlier, body brought the bill and that was a very deep case of burnout, adrenal dysfunction, um, lots of digestive stuff going on. Like you were talking about earlier, I was basically hitting my you know, late thirties, early forties and feeling like, Hey, I, I may be done. <laughs> like this may be it right yep. here. What, what's going on? I've got some sort of weird condition, some sort of thing that's happening, syndrome or whatever. And so I started going to doctors. I started going to specialists. I sought out good practitioners and I I learned a lot. Some of the interactions were really valuable, but along the way, what I really learned was, hey, this is up to me. I can get these outside points of reference. You know, I can get some support and help um, in areas that I'm not that knowledgeable. Yet what I found was nobody along the way knew my life, my story, my situation, my body like I did, even if I didn't have all the education. That was my process of beginning the healing journey back into a, you know, a state of better health. And then later human design comes in and then reframes all of it. It was really the first thing that said, yeah, you've got digestive stuff and you've got adrenal stuff and you've got this and that and sleep issues. But you're actually not living as a projector. You're not living as yourself. You're trying to be something you're not and live in a way that you're really not designed for. And that was a huge piece for me of like finally getting it back and being like, mm-hmm. okay, now I've, I've got enough lay of the land. I have enough points of reference through this experience that I can manage it. I brought it from the forest fire back to hopefully a, a campfire that I'm dealing with now. Yeah. And I, I wonder sometimes because of my makeup and with that 3420 and what we're moving into. And of course, today as actually the 3420, uh, well, through the week, I think the 3420 is not only in the sun and the earth, but also we're in the, the nodes. So mm-hmm. hopefully a lot of people are experiencing as that individual power to be able to be empowered individually versus it being something that's this force for I've got to go, 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 go do. Because I think that there's potential that that's what we might move into is more of this go, 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 do, do, do. And hopefully at least for me, I don't see much else out there other than maybe some people that are talking about meditation and stuff like that. I don't know who's out there other than human design that's saying, you know, slow down, take a breath, wait, even with that 3420, wait, wait to respond. And I think that's one of the big keys for health. Like you said, with recognizing as a projector, but I think with most anybody is just one is just take a deep breath and recognize that the body's amazing. and 
does amazing things to heal if you'll let it. But no matter what your makeup is, you've got to slow down enough. And especially if you're an MG, you've got to slow down enough to allow it to tell you what's going on. Because otherwise, especially an MG, any you know, mental definition, things like that, before you know it, you're in your mid-40s and your body's half apart. And like you said, John, I've experienced the same thing where you're like, well, I didn't even make it to 50. Like I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm done. This is, this is, you know, your body's falling apart and you're going, I don't know if this is coming back together, but it does. It just takes time. And that's just the encouragement for people is like with part of the experiment is just, it's an experiment. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Slow down. Enjoy it. You woke up today. That's good. <laughs> it's a start. <laughs> it's a start. You got up. You're still alive today. I mean, still like just heart still just, beating. <laughs> your heart's still beating. Eyes still blinking. And that's, that's one of the fun things, but no, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the fun things when I get to wound up in my head, I have to remind myself is like, I, right now my heart's beating. I'm not controlling that. A lot of my movements are not by my control. My breathing is happening without me having to go, oh, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And the body's functioning the way it's going to function, but it can definitely function even better as you slow down and notice that and listen to those things. It's really striking to me with what we're talking about in terms of this personal responsibility, internal authority thing. And, you know, that's a big theme in human design, but it's also a big part of this big transition we're going through with the global cycles. Mm -hmm. And it's probably one of the most striking things that I ever heard Ross say that really stopped me in my tracks. The first time I listened to him talking about the global cycle changes and him saying, gotten really, really highly organized and developed with these broad structures and development of expertise so that you can go to an outer authority for almost everything pertaining to your material life, Mm -hmm. whether it's how you get your food, how you deal with your body, how your children get educated, you know, how you access information. We outsource all of it and there's all this organized expertise, but what happens if you get to a point where you can't find anyone who can or is even willing to take responsibility for you and mm-hmm. act as an authority for you? That was a really shocking thing for me to hear because it's one thing to say, oh, well, you should take responsibility for your life and learn your design and you know, do your thing and you can have your inner authority. But you know, what happens when it's not even accessible anymore? That's something I've thought about just because of my makeup and thought about the sleeping phoenix. And but I've researched lots of different things. And I don't know if you're familiar with the younger Dryas impact hypothesis, like Graham Hancock stuff, and like going back into that and looking at this concept of there's been this society that was super advanced years ago that had all this technology, all this information and everything else. And we had an impact that happened from an asteroid or some kind of meteor or something, and it nearly depleted everybody on earth. That was kind of an ice age. That was like 12,800 years ago. Then 11,600 years ago, there's a second impact that actually hit water. When you go back to some of this stuff, historically, you're looking at where a lot of these flood myths come from. So when you have, you know, like the flood myth, it's like, sure, I learned one about Noah. There's like over a hundred of them all across the world. And it's always a story about somebody that was able to make it through and everything else. And it gets really intriguing to think about not to be a, a doomsdayer by any means, but I just think about like, what would that be like if something like that came through and totally reset the system? You know, no more getting to talk to people on the 
computer, no more computers, what would that be like? And it could be really challenging and be really challenging for those that live in big cities and their whole, I mean, think about it. If there's no more TV, there's no more phones, there's no more internet, like the, the survival of that for some people. And I think that that's where what you're saying, it's, it's really humbling to go, okay, well, do I know how to grow my own food? Thankfully, I'm a carpenter. I know how to build a building. I, I could build a shelter, you know, but some of these things that, as you've said, we've outsourced so much of taking care of our own selves and our own tribe, even not that I'm wishing any kind of extravagant event or anything, but even just if all the grids went down or something else, then we'd really have to get to know the people around us and really start to form new types of relationships locally. It would be an interesting part of the experiment. I don't think any of us know what's going to happen in 2027. Maybe it's completely opposite and we move into the metaverse and everybody's plugged into a computer and they no longer grow arms and legs. They're just a brain and they feed the system. I don't know. <laughs> How soon can we get there? Right? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, it is. It's like, that's the more, more, more thing, right? It's right. society's constantly climbing and grabbing toward more and more and more. And this idea, you know, my son's got a VR thing. And he uses it when he wants to. And thankfully, he's not like addicted to it. But I, I just think about there was at one point in time, your kids may have done this too. They were playing this game where they were like, it was like they were working at, oh, I know it was, it was like Panda Express. They had this game where they could work at Panda Express and they could go in and like serve customers and do all this stuff. And it was really eye-opening and odd to me because it's like, okay, this is a video game, but these kids are getting pre-trained on the whole menu. And it was like the real menu and everything else. And it's like, are my kids getting pre-trained to go get a job at Panda Express when they're 16? It's just odd to just sit back and watch. And so I like watching historical stuff. That kind of brings it back to some of the health stuff that's, you know, you look at like this younger driest thing, you look at what's happened through all these times in history and everything else. It's attributed to Alexander Teitler, but it's called the life cycle of nations. And basically no no huge powers lasted more than roughly 200 years. And we're seeing that with us. We're seeing that down in Australia. You know, their country is a little over 200 years old. Um, Britain, obviously, is with their whole Brexit thing that's been going on for a while. So just that alone and all these kind of coming together with 2027, it's just really interesting to think, I don't know where all of it's going. You know, looking at patterns, I'm somebody that likes to look at patterns in history. And I think it's important to look at your patterns in your health. And if you can kind of examine those things and, you know, sometimes I'll ask patients that like, well, when would you consider yourself your healthiest? You know, okay, then who were you around? Where did you live? And you start asking those things that relate to PHS and the environment and the, the environment of the people and the frequencies around you. And you start looking at like some of those patterns of well, what was going good in your life, what was going on and start to kind of recognize where the body shifts out of those patterns and just remind people how to get back to those patterns and saying, listen, there's patterns that happen in your life and you're going to find those and go, oh, when I lived in this place and I ate these foods or was around these people or whatever it is, I felt the best. It's like, okay, do you think that's something maybe you should do now? You know, Is that something you should work toward again? And, and just, I know they're open-ended questions, but it's at least something for people to start to recognize like, oh, maybe there are patterns and my life has had patterns of great times and maybe I'm not in a great time right now, but I have something I can point back to. I think what you're pointing to as well, which is a philosophy that just has always appealed to me since I was really young. Whenever I would see someone who was promoting any kind of teaching or therapeutic intervention that was oriented around before we get to the problems, before we start addressing the problems in your life, let's set a baseline mm -hmm. for when you felt good, when you feel natural, healthy, 
like it's okay to be me, relaxed, everything's okay. What's your reference point for that? And then let's get identified with that a bit. Let's connect with that. And then let's see. Now, from there, what are the problems that we need to deal with? Are there problems? Psychologically, I've really seen how for some people, when they get steeped enough in what feels natural and what they know and what feels grounded and real to them as an individual, sometimes many of the things they were preoccupied with or trying to solve literally disappear. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. Yep. It only exists in that not self mind that is identified with those issues. That's not true in all cases with everything, but I love what you're saying. I don't know that I've ever heard a practitioner explain that in the way that you just did, that they would sit down with someone and say, what feels good to you? What feels natural to you? When do you remember feeling really healthy and what was happening? I think it's brilliant. Yeah. It's just because, you know, selfishly I've done that in my own life and said, oh, you know, I felt really great here. Everything, you know, everything was, I won't say perfect, but everything was going so well in this state. And I think it's really nice and important to do that. One of the things I've had patients do is just basically just write down a whole list and I said, do a Word document. You can give me 20 pages, whatever. Just give me your health history. Give me everything. And that in and of itself can be very cathartic just to get it out of what's in their head and let them write it down. And I always want it printed off. I want something tangible that they can hold and feel because that is something that to me creates something like, okay, now the health problem is no longer in my head. Here it is. Your health problem is no longer this massive thing that you can't handle. It's three sheets of paper. So let's go through this line by line. And then we start kind of you know, breaking it up that way. The way I look at the way conditioning is, is, is you have that cultural, sociological, that then hones down into the psychological, which is more your immediate family and those things. And that's those filters that kind of feed into who you are. So one of the things that's nice for people to do is to work with somebody that's a counselor or something that can help them to start to break down some of those cultural and as well as psychological aspects that have got them to the point and them going, this is what I believe. Like, okay, but why? And I think some of those are some of the biggest parts of, you know, biology of belief. That's an important aspect. Obviously, John, we've talked about it in PHS for for a certain group of people, maybe the threes and fours that, you know, have the Ajna for the awareness center. That may be a big aspect for them is to start to examine their beliefs. That's where it becomes really interesting to start to do work to help people is because you really start to go, okay, well, what's your PHS? What's your makeup? And where are we going to be able to hit the mark best? Maybe somebody that sees a counselor and gets the biggest changes from that versus actually doing anything that has anything to do with a supplement or anything else. Just hopefully people start to recognize, I hate the phrase, but there's more than one way to skin a cat more than one way to get to a place where you feel back to your own resonance and your own frequency. And that's okay. There's not, like you said, John, you know, you went and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, maybe there's the newest person out there that has like the biggest page and the biggest following or whatever else. And it's like, oh, what do they have to say? Which is great. But again, it's like you're saying, it's like we're, we're constantly giving our authority out to others and going, oh, what they say must be it. But if you're recognizing, oh, I like what they have to say, let me try it out. And you're bringing it back to yourself and you recognize like, okay, just another part of the experiment, just another variable to change and just tweak on what it is to be this being, then I think that's a lot healthier. Yeah, I agree. I think what it's bringing up for me is that this journey of health, it's an individual journey and things like human design, lab tests, blood work, what are they giving us? They're giving us points of reference. 
points Absolutely. of reference for our own individual process, our own individual exploration or experiment, as you were saying. It also kind of brings up some work I did early on with the Alexander Technique. It's, you could say, a body-mind discipline that was brought to the world by an Australian who was a theater performer. The quick version of it is he realized that his voice was under a lot of strain and a lot of it had to do when he was performing with the way he was holding his head and neck position and using his body, his posture, his breathing, and developed what he called the Alexander Technique and then started working with other performers, other artists, other musicians. And anyway, it's a really interesting discipline and, and path in itself. But I started working with an Alexander teacher back in LA in the 90s. I think he described it to me as psychosomatic reeducation, I think, sure. mm -hmm. those lines. And what he would do in a session, I'd go in there and spend an hour with him and he would put me on a table, put my body into a natural, relaxed, aligned position and wake up my limbs, take me through kind of a process. There's, there's a bit of a, a format to it. And then he would stand me up and then make some adjustments and then have me just simply walk across the room or sit up and down in a chair. He was basically giving me points of reference to take back out into the world as I then use my body and move through life, giving me an experience of what alignment really felt like in my form, in the body, in the now, for me uniquely. And then I would go back out into the world, maybe see him like next month and see how much of it stuck, how much of it hold. And then he would come back and do the same thing again. And eventually it changed the way that I moved. It changed the way that I walked. A lot of the stuff that I had been dealing with, the pain in my neck and pain in my back, just went away by coming mm -hmm. back into alignment. And so bringing this back to human design and this idea of signposted references, something like PHS, this is a marker. This is something that you can experiment with, that you can test out, verify for yourself. My understanding of the fourth color determination, in particularly the nervous determination, what that external auric stimulation does is it can increase the hydrochloric acid production in the gut. Absolutely. Yeah. And so how interesting that here's that point of reference in human design and you're seeing it as well in your own experience and in your lab test and the functional medicine work that you've done. And now we can cross correlate. We can go, okay, there's something going on here for me to explore, to work with and find balance or alignment within myself. Right. And I think it's, um, Interesting to note for me, as I've experimented with that, I had noticed a difference too. To give credit to supplements when they do work is understanding the physiology is I understood that based off of my stress levels and things like that, when I was kind of my body was at its weakest, I would start taking things like certain digestive enzymes and things of that nature just to improve my digestion in that period of time. So there is benefit to things like supplements for those things. Times when I was my busiest, even right after the mold, I was still doing sales and driving all around Atlanta and doing crazy stuff. And then I would go out to eat and I'd be around a crowded restaurant. I'd just sit by myself, but I could almost eat any food and have no problem with digestion. Have just my whole body just was like, oh, this tastes great. Everything was great. It really was for me. It was that busyness hmm. that was the issue. As we know, we can get conditioned mentally and we get conditioned by our culture and by other people around us and family and things like that. What I see with having done some of the lab work is we actually get condition with our immune system. And our immune system becomes conditioned specifically most often to foods because that's our main fuel source. And so, as I said, with those digestive issues, then you start seeing the way the body starts having reactions to foods and those conditioned patterns lead to more inflammation. 
it is something where within the functional medicine side of things, it is a nice tool to have to help look at somebody and go, okay, well, what kind of conditioning patterns does your body have right now? And how can we help you to physiologically remove some of those conditioning patterns? And that's a great tool for the physiological side, as well as while I'm not a PHS practitioner, I see the benefits of it. I had a PHS reading with um, Becky Markley, who was really great and uh, has a wealth of knowledge. The things she described were kind of dead on for, oh, when your body's not in this phase of being fully healthy, watch for these things. And for me, that was several years, um, yeah, a couple of years ago and still is something I'm still playing with the whole PHS along with the foods I think I probably shouldn't eat and I'll avoid them for a while. And then I'll be like, well, what happens if I eat the food? I'm in the right environment. It's like, nope, food doesn't work. Doesn't matter if you're in the right environment. The body's just going, nope, I'm not ready for that food. And maybe it never will be. So I think it really is just a, an interesting interplay between what's out there and finding somebody's individual makeup through something like lab testing, but then finding somebody's individual makeup through something like PHS and kind of starting to, to kind of play with those two things and go, okay, what's really working here and what's going on? Well, I think a lot of this is pointing toward this movement that we're in. And even though we can look at it as some of these breakdowns of some of these structures might feel like doomsday-ish, the other side of it includes this perspective you're bringing, I think, about being able to have allies in each other or have mm -hmm. a partner or someone there with you in this discovery of what your health is and what actually works for you. And it seems to be the way the practitioner model is sort of going, perhaps under the influence of these cycles changing. Ra suggested that we're entering an era where the height of relating is will really be about this resonance and a sort of communion of awareness. And then how do we come together and have the outer authority that we can each be actually benefit the relationship and benefit the other in this very personal, very unique way? I think human design has been great for me. I mean, it's great for a lot of people. For me specifically, human design has been nice to be able to just look at a chart and just see how different it is from mine. Because I was one of those that grew up just thinking like, I didn't think I was very different compared to other people. When I get to see somebody's chart and look at it and I don't recognize anything like mine, then I get to go, wow, what is this? This is not me. So it gives a lot more respect for others. And it's been interesting as well on the journey. I've met several, well, the, the genetic imperative, my, I think I told you guys, my daughter was born on my design date and she's a sleeping phoenix. So there's that. And I know several different sleeping phoenix and each one is a difference. Like my daughter's a four, six. I know, I even know other two fours that are nothing like me. So much more depth to each chart than just, I'm a two, four. Well, John's a two, four projector everything's just totally different. He's got the two centers defined that I don't have, or two of them. You know what I mean? And it's just like, wow, it's really interesting to see all the um, uniqueness that's out there in the world. Yeah. And even if a chart looks the same on the surface, that two, four, same centers, same gates, even if, if you were to find someone like that. And I'm part of a um, Facebook group for ego projectors for 2551s. And when I first joined years ago, I think there was maybe like 15 or 20 of us. And now there's 60 or 70 of us going into it early on, being a little bit naive about design. I had assumed that, okay, this is a pretty unique design type of projector. We're all going to have a lot in common and we're going to be able to relate in some way. 
And of course, what I learned was, oh, we're all so different. It's very different. Yes, we all have this channel and we all have our own version or flavor of it. That's true. And we're all projectors. You can say those two things. Everything else is different. I think that also goes back to that phrase that, at least in human design, that the design can tell you what you are, but not who you are. And also to the thing we were talking about in reference to Thomas Cowan, right? He was talking about how we can study and analyze all of these characteristics and features and material and chemicals. There's so many things we can measure, but you can't really measure a spirit or a soul or whatever this intangible thing is that we all accept as real. And yet we can't really quantify or Mm -hmm. put our finger on, but it's undeniable that it exists. Well, and then maybe in that situation, like as soon as you started saying that, what I got the picture in my mind was it's, it's two different crystals. Of course, it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. They're different crystals. There's different designs. They're different personality crystals. They have to be different. I think it's always good for people to be reminded of. And that was one of the things that I found within human design was really interesting is that so many people get excited about health and we're getting to that season where people are like, oh, I really want to make a change or whatever else. But that reminder for people is like, do not make a New Year's resolution. That's not the new year. You've got to wait until the rave new year starts because I remember Ra mentioning that. It's like, if you don't, then that's going to fizzle out. And I, I've seen it so many times and I've seen patients do it and people come in and come and go. It's just like the most wonderful thing you can hear from somebody is like, don't make a resolution. <laughs> don't worry about it. Wait through the new year. Stop trying to do these fad diets and all this other stuff and just get to a point where if something starts to resonate in you come third week of January, then maybe you start to pursue that. Maybe that's something that may stick a little bit more. But that was something that was really uh, encouraging me for me to hear that because I'd seen that so many times. And what, we see that out in the world and everybody talks about resolutions and don't do it. That's some good practical advice right there. Well, fun stuff. Like yeah. you said, we could talk for hours more. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been a great exploration and obviously this is a topic whether we're talking about health or we're talking about design or differentiation or deconditioning or how to frame what's happening in the world these days i think all of these conversations are really helpful and even if anybody out there has differing opinions about anything that we're saying hopefully we're bringing forward just different perspectives and different experiences and and just like you said the capacity to recognize that we're in a world full of very different creatures and yet we're all interdependent and interconnected in in different ways so i've loved talking with you thank you no i've enjoyed it thanks for inviting me on i know you're out there somewhere thank you for listening to the human design collective podcast if you enjoyed the show please review us and share You can find us at humandesigncollective.com and explore our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast is courtesy of Anders Parker. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for upcoming episodes on the same channel.